Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328-358. Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. State fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. It's very clear our economy is still in trouble. Now your host, the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending. Starts with doing everything possible to get the COVID-19 under control so that we can reopen our businesses safely, resume our lives, put this pandemic behind us. Broadcasting from the KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time about. for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Made it to the end of another week. It's Friday here. Pretty much the middle of March. Feels another like- tumultuous week. Oh, man. It feels like they all are lately. Choppy. I get the little rate watch update whenever the market rates are changing, and it says, this may be an indicator of market volatility. (laughs) (laughs) What's an indicator of volatility is when it buzzes every 15 minutes throughout the entire day. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. I think, um, I mean, people that are involved in this industry or, or that are heavily involved in the markets are aware of this, but people kind of feel like the interest rate is just the interest rate and that it, it's like set or something. And I have explained to them, oh no, it opens in the morning based on news and data. And just like the stock market, if, if things are improving or worsening, we see once it, I think there's kind of like ranges that a little bit, a little bit of give and take is no big deal. But then once you start to cross these certain thresholds, then you get updates to pricing and things start getting better or worse. But the worst is like gas prices. The worst comes quick and regularly. The better is like, well, let's wait and see if this is really going to be better. But <laughs> Very true. Yeah. 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 Well, I have a friend that owns a gas station and that was one of the things she was telling me is that like they buy their, you know, the, the tanks in the ground hold tens of thousands of gallons of fuel and that's bought at a price. And so, you know, if gas price moves at the pump because of, you know, demand or supply or whatever issues, the gas in the ground could be the real winner or the real loser, you know, and and locking mortgage interest rate, kind of same way. Sometimes you're brilliant for locking. Sometimes it's not that great, Um, man, but locks a month ago sure are smart right now. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. It's been a wild ride since about mid February. Yeah. About, about a month ago is really when, when things really started to change. Yeah. It, it's funny in the last few weeks here, I've, I've, um, each time I'm sending out like a purchase pre-approval letter, I have to tell my client like, Hey, and heads up, here's an updated fee worksheet for you. It's continuing to slide. Um, and you know, I, I guess again, little insertion here. When we when we lock somebody, we are locking your social security number to that address. Is basically what the deal is. 
Um, you know, so if you don't have a property picked out yet as you're pre-approved and just going through it, you're a little bit along for the ride as the market's getting better or worse. Sometimes it's good luck, but lately it's not been great luck. And so I'm having to tell people, oh, interest rates now an eighth point higher or, you know, it's a half a point cost and, um, the ones that are particularly bad, I had an offer, uh, an offer get accepted yesterday on an investment property. Mm. And oh, I know we're, I don't know if we should talk about this right out of the <laughs> gate, such juicy bit of info here. I guess maybe we should. Um, sure. That basically, well, Dan, you said you kind of studied up on this. I'll tell you um, the what I have going on, and then you tell me why this is happening to our clients. But um yeah, essentially, we've seen pricing get stepped on in a really big way for any investment property or second home. Um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac alike have announced that um, as a result of some order from the top, they need to start paring down how much of this investment property or second home business is coming in the door. And so you do that by making the price worse. And so, uh, yeah, like I said, I got an, an offer accepted yesterday with an investment property that is not pretty. Yeah, it, it was an abrupt, it, it was a very surprise announcement. Um, there, and there was no warning. There, were, there was very little warning, I should say, from any of the banks that buy loans uh, as far as, you know, their, how they were going to change the rates so quickly. So what happened is on on Wednesday the 10th, Fannie Mae published an announcement. Um, and it essentially said there were, there's, you know, a few different pieces of it, but the thing that really jolted the mortgage market was that there's a restriction imposed upon them by the treasury, the U S treasury that restricts um, their acquisition of single family mortgages secured by second homes and investment properties to 7% of their mortgage backed securities pools. So this announcement was made on the 10th. It's, you know, that Fannie Mae comes out with announcements all the time. It kind of really slipped under the, you know, went under the radar. Not a lot of people made a big deal about it. Then I got a call on the morning of the 11th. So that was Thursday from uh, one of our banks, it was our Wells Fargo rep called us and said, get your, get loans locked in that are investment and second home because price changes are coming down right now. And so we, we announced it, we got as many, you know, done as we could. Um, you know, luckily most loans are already locked. It's been that kind of market. So, um, there wasn't a lot out there that was really affected, but anything new definitely got affected. So throughout yesterday, we saw major price changes. It, it Ultimately, what it amounted to is about anywhere from a quarter to a half point in rate higher for second homes and investment properties um, just within minutes. Like there was no, no heads up really other than if, if you were lucky enough to get a phone call or something. What's interesting to me is that this this announcement was actually based on a deal between the treasury and FHFA back in mid January on January 14th, the U S department of treasury and the federal housing finance agency 
made an amendment to their preferred stock purchase agreements. So these are the agreements that were put into place the day after Fannie and Freddie were placed into conservatorship back in 2008. And so it's these, it's, it's this preferred stock purchase agreement that defines the terms or the relationship and, and how, you know, it describes how the treasury is going to govern those um, GSEs as they were going through the tumultuous downturn of housing back in 2008 and their um, ensuing recovery. And so this agree- these agreements have actually been amended multiple times over the years. But this latest amendment was back in January. And then for whatever reason, it just all of a sudden became an issue when Fannie Mae updated their policy or made made the announcement it it was almost just like hey just a reminder this is a restriction we have and and that reminder through their announcement on the 10th two days ago um just jolted the market it's kind of crazy how it just it wasn't a factor for two months and all of a sudden it was a huge factor yeah it seems odd that it sneaked up on people um i mean i I'm paying better attention than most people, and I had no idea that this was looming or scheduled or something that was coming, um, which I guess can't be too surprising because these deals, you know, oftentimes these deals as drawn up, you know, contain so much legalese, but they're also can be thousands of pages long. So we can't possibly yeah. know all the details, but um, so I, I, in, in putting together this loan that I'm putting together, I mean, I guess I'm going to keep driving this back to this transaction that I'm working on where it's like where the rubber meets the road, right? Um, you got the FHFA make a mandate, um, you know, in this deal between Treasury and, and, and Fannie Mae. Um, but, but bottom line, some banks, it looked like in this deal that I priced out today. So this deal came together yesterday. I'm putting together the loan and, and ultimate lock today. But look like some of the banks that we use, like, for example, Chase in particular, had suspended the product type of investment property uh, loan, period. And, and every investor is evaluating their mortgage-backed securities pools, especially these bigger banks that are are big buyers of mortgages, they're evaluating the investor and second home concentration within their mortgage-backed securities pools to figure out if they're in jeopardy of exceeding that 7% maximum amount. And and I dug in here, there's two parts to it though. One of them is it's it's 7% of your total... um, your total balance sheet, right. Of, of what, what you're, what you're selling in a, in whole, but also Correct. it's got a 1.5 billion per single originator cap as well. So this is where a company like Chase or Wells Fargo and probably Wells Fargo is a better example than Chase. Um, but when you're that big, you could hit a billion, 1.5 billion worth of origination of second home and investment property pretty quick, right? So yeah. maybe yeah, some of can. these banks need to just halt immediately while they figure out, 
how much they have, how much they're going to be able to fit, and then how to price it appropriately to make sure that as you fill up on it, that you're filling up with stuff that you want to fill up on, right? But what's yeah. weird to me, how did Chase or Wells Fargo um, get surprised by this? Like, I understand, like, we don't have, like, the legal team and the compliance team and the advisor team and the market research team. I mean, that's us, right? Um, it's, it, I can see how guys like us are going to get surprised. How does Wells Fargo or Chase get surprised that something like this was coming down the road? Or maybe they were just banking on it being modified or extended, um, realizing that we're in a tumultuous housing time. Um, I, I agree with your point. How, how do these large buyers and, and securitizers of mortgages miss this? I, I don't know. Um, I guess the one thing I'll say is that this amendment to this agreement between Treasury and FHFA, it was designed to maintain status quo. It was designed to install a cap for what they deem higher risk mortgages. So the non-owner occupied mortgages are one of those higher risk categories. But the cap was in line with their current levels as of that, you know, January 2021 time period. So they... I don't think there was intent to cause market disruption and, and, and create what happened this week. I think the intention was, hey, right now we're, you know, we see about 7% of all mortgages coming in are non-owner occupied. And, and we think that's a, that's a reasonable cap. And, and we just, we don't think it should go up higher than that. So they thought they were just putting a cap on something that already existed and it wouldn't affect markets. Yeah, but that would be kind of like saying so low right now. We're seeing everyone who's a, you know, a, a big owner of property coming in and refinancing their entire portfolios of property. So I do think that, that the heavier investor concentration maybe that's occurring right now is, is maybe fueling some of this. And I don't see that, you know, continuing on. Um, well, okay. And so again, where the rubber meets the road. One question that I have here in this time of economic uncertainty, I mean, we have issue right now. Um, American people are need help and I can prove it by saying that this week, you know, we passed a $1.9 trillion help bill because people need help. Um, but if you remove this liquidity from the market of what would be ultimately landlords, right? I mean, most investment mm -hmm. properties are rental properties. Um, you're removing liquidity for them, increasing their cost to borrow, limiting their opportunity to borrow. Um, aren't you then driving that cost up down the road? Down, yeah, to, the tenant, I, down to the homeowner or the, the occupant level? I, I'm totally with you. I agree. It's counterproductive to what we're trying to do, which is heal our damaged economy. I, I don't think this is in any way helping. At the same time, I don't think the the change that that caused this was intended to cause this. I think it's just uh, a colliding of of factors. You know, kind of that collateral damage type of thing. Like they just they didn't anticipate how how that move back in January was going to affect what we're doing today. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, if, it's pretty wild though. There, I mean, this, this agreement was so comprehensive too. I don't even think that 
that it was believed at the time that the 7% cap on non-owner occupied mortgages was a big piece of it. A lot of the amendment was, was revolved around the capital retainment of Fannie and Freddie and how the, the required, you know, um, sweeps into the treasury department on a quarterly basis. We're going to work going forward. And yeah. And I was, how as you were talking, it was going to work. I was trying to, you know, think back to what the average listener probably lacks in this conversation is how Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are in conservatorship in the beginning. Like, why this is the the current state of affairs and the bottom line is the agencies were both underfunded they had a lack of reserves they didn't understand their exposures and were basically operating pretty willy-nilly and so along came you know the federal government places them into conservatorship and starts basically the management of well we'll we'll provide the capital that you need to remain solvent not only remain solvent but to continue business operations and in doing so we're going to clean up the financial aspect of what you're doing and they and they did this in more than one way right part of it was making sure that the credit criteria was good enough that the loans that are being made are good enough that the appraisal standards and the licensing standards right we saw a lot of good come from the government's intervention into the mortgage market. Um, but also then you've got these requirements that also came down by Dodd-Frank that is establishing reserve requirements and maximum leverage ratios. Um, I, You were involved more pre the financial collapse than I was in the leverage ratio stuff. But, you know, I've heard it rumored that mortgage companies just like, you know, and Fannie and Freddie suffered this the same, but we're at leverage ratios of 40 or 50 to one, whereas today's environment is closer, you know, to seven to one or something like that. It's true. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the leverage ratios are out of control. Today, you can, I, I think it's pretty common to see allowances for leverage ratios up to 15 to 1. But in reality, banks operate at a much lower, mortgage banks, I should say, speaking specifically to mortgage banks, they operate at, at typically a lower leverage ratio than that. I was talking to the guys at our at our lock desk um, about this, you know, as they're kind of asking questions about, you know, why in particular is this happening and what a bloodbath from one day to the next for something that probably sh we should have been able to see coming. And, you know, one of the things that we started talking about was, well, if you're trying, if, if you're, you know, just like if you're struggling with your household finances, right, and you need help, like almost like bankruptcy, like you need help and I'm your bankruptcy trustee, I'm going to come in and we're going to look at your budget and we're going to look at your debt spending, you know, your your leverage ratio, if you will, about how your finances are working. And then I'm going to come in and make some rules about, oh, well, we're going to get rid of this. You're not going to be allowed to spend that. And your your total debt allocation, you know, like in this case, you're only going to be allowed to keep 7% of your total volume is going to be second home and investment properties. And part of why I think this is a, is a key point here is um, when the going gets tough for the homeowner, are you going to lose or let go of the roof over your head first or your lake house first or your investment property first? Right. And 
I think the answer is probably the same across the board is, well, I'm going to lose my vacation home or I'm going to lose this rental property before I'm going to lose the roof over my own head or over my family's head. So those other property types have just inherently more risk to them because of that, right? But when you go back and you look at if you were using models of what we learned last time of default rates among these different property types, you can you could draw some conclusions that, okay, well, there's a higher default rate within the investment property loan type. So we're going to limit you to less of those going forward. Make sure you only have 7% of your balance sheet in that category. But today's investor, though, uh, when you're doing loans today for somebody that owns a rental property, like you mentioned a minute ago, Dan, about some of those investors that have multiple properties that are coming in and taking advantage of these crazy low interest rates, those investors are they're so sound. The requirements now are huge down payment, 20% down. I mean, the least down you're going to get is 15%. Nobody does that because the pricing is gruesome. 20% is just bad pricing. Some people do that. The majority of it is 25% down where the pricing is now palatable, but that investor has to have six months worth of liquid reserves for the subject property and any other rentals that they have. You know, they've, they've got to meet credit criteria, debt to income ratio. We've been so careful about making sure that today's landlord is very well qualified to own that property. Like, I mean, to an extent we've never seen before, it's such a high caliber of borrower that I wonder now, um, because isn't that at the end of this whole thing, right? This move is a piece to... um, be anticipating and analyzing risk to make sure that should you end up in another kind of financial crisis like last time, you're not going to be over leveraged in the wrong places. Isn't that what is at the heart of this? Ultimately, the heart of this is to protect taxpayers. Right. The taxpayers bailed out these government sponsored entity entities in 2008, and we're trying to not ha- ever have to do that again. So that's where they're requiring these increased capital requirements of these agencies and reducing the risk portfolios, or at least setting some kind of caps on the amount of risk that will be acceptable to ultimately protect the taxpayer. That's the heart of it. Uh, just to throw another, another thing in here, when I was talking to my Wells Fargo rep about this, um, she admitted that Wells Fargo had analyzed their current pools of of loans and they were at about a 1.7% concentration of non-owner occupied loans. Interesting. So so it's interesting to me that they well jumped on the, the bandwagon window. to worsen all the the pricing for those types of loans when they're not even close to the 7% cap. Um so it there's I, part of me it's, it's like that whiplash reaction. And is there some just greed involved because everyone else is doing it? We should do it. And, you know, it's just a way to generate additional fee or well, additional. You, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, if, you know, if seven buses used to stop at your bus stop 10 times a day and now only one bus is going to stop at your bus stop 10 times, your bus is going to get overrun quickly. You know, the, the other choices are gone. 
And so you're just, if everyone else quits doing this, even though your recent historicals are well below, you'll get your boat swamped just because you're the person still taking them. So you definitely don't want to come out as the price leader in the place. I read commentary this morning that said that, um, it's estimated right now that about 50% of originators are over um, this ratio. So some of those banks, and so what's funny, Dan, is like you said, pricing got worse by you know a quarter to a half a point pretty much overnight on these occupancy types. The banks that were at the top of the heap that have been the strongest investment property price um, are now gone from the top and the junk companies that were like no good before are like happy to have their spot at the table today and probably are going to get overwhelmed with those, you know, like, I mean, one of the, that loan I was telling you about that I set up this morning, I locked with a bank that I honestly haven't locked a loan there in two years. I mean, our company's done other loans there. They're not a bad bank, um, but it just like goes to show you like little changing of the guard now about who wants to step up and take it that didn't go all the way worse. So it'd be interesting to see, like you say, there's this whipsaw effect in worsening. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see as the dust settles and a little bit more analysis happens if we see some of this start to come back the other way. I suspect they will because it feels like this, even though it probably could have been anticipated it feels like it snuck up on the industry super quick so for my concern is that i mean again this cap this seven percent cap on non-owner occupied properties is simply in line with the existing fannie mae and freddie mac non-owner concentration levels so it's not designed to be anything abnormal so it's just a cash in line with normal so I just think there's a disproportionate amount of investment properties being refinanced right now. So it's maybe causing volume levels to be a little higher in that category. But what I worry about, just like all these other fees that have been imposed on us over the years, they're often termed G fees and other things um, that once it's, once it's there, it doesn't go away. Even if the concentration levels drop below the threshold, yeah. And, and that's what I fear. It's just like the toll road, man. We can all <laughs> Once agree. Once you get on, used to it, why change it, right? Yeah. Then it's just a <laughs> revenue stream. Who wants to turn that off? We all agreed on, you know, it was necessary to have a fee to put it in. All right. Well, it, we got to do a break here. Um, I, I bet the average listener wonders why this impacts them, but um, I don't know. It it's impacts you if you want to buy, if you own a second home or an investment property. I fear that it impacts you if you're a tenant. Sure, it does that too. You know, maybe not right away, but also maybe this is one of the moves, though, that's a, in the bigger chess game. It's one of the moves that puts the investment property type at a little bit more of a disadvantage in hopes of growing home ownership, right? Sure. Maybe so. If those guys are having access to cheap capital issues where it's like, well, it used to be worth it. Now it's not worth it so much anymore. So I'm just going to, I'm going to sell this thing and, and it becomes then most likely it becomes an owner occupied home. Maybe there's a little bit of that benefit in there. It's hard to say for sure, but I, I would think more likely is, you know, have landlords that, you know, end up wanting to raise rents to cover their added borrowing costs. I don't know. 
I guess we'll find out soon. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break here. So go grab a fresh cup of coffee or whatever you got to do. And we'll be back in uh, just a minute here with more Mortgage Matters. It's time to pay some bills. Mortgage Matters will be back in just a few seconds. Stay tuned. More from the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending in just seconds. Hey, Brian from AM Sun Solar here. Did you know that if you own a home and have an electric bill, you could miss out on the full 30% solar tax credit this year if you don't act fast? The full 30% tax credit lowers after this year, so you're going to miss out on cash and time is running out. Call AM Sun Solar today to see if your home qualifies for the full 30% solar tax credit. Get your free solar consultation before it's too late. We are already filling up our installation schedule to get the tax credit, so call AM Sun Solar today at 805-772-772. 6786 or visit us at amsunsolar.com. AM Sun Solar is located in Paso Robles, so you know you're working with a local company that has the best equipment and a 20% longer workmanship warranty than anyone else in the area. Call us today at 805-772-6786 or visit amsunsolar.com to see if your home qualifies for a solar energy system and the full 30% solar tax credit. That's 805-772-6786. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We are using low down payment programs and down payment assistance programs to help folks just like you buy their first home. You may not need to save and wait as long as you think. Are you ready to explore home ownership? Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Low and the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 32835. This is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We believe that cell phone apps are great for some things and wrong for others. When it comes to something as significant as a mortgage, use our team of mortgage experts. Leave the apps for ordering pizza, not for buying a home. Use your phone for its original purpose and give us a call today. Just call 543 Low and the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. In these times of economic turmoil, it's hard to know where to turn for financial security. At Blakesley & Blakesley, they've been providing solid financial advice for over 30 years. If you'd like a second opinion on your investments or just a financial tune-up, turn to a proven name you know you can trust. Blakesley & Blakesley. For the service you deserve and the advice you trust, come to Blakesley & Blakesley with offices in San Luis Obispo, Santa Maria, and Paso Robles. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. As a direct VA lender, we specialize in helping the great servicemen and women of the Central Coast utilize their benefit to purchase and refinance real estate. We thank you for your service and believe it's a distinct honor to serve you. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Low and the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 with your host, the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. 
I was reading more during the break about the the whole thing and thinking, man, what a mess. Fannie and Freddie are in conservatorship. They don't know really how to unwind it, and they're just trying to keep them well capitalized to ensure that we don't end up having to spend so much money like last time. But that stock's been such a winner for Fannie and Freddie. The taxpayers really benefited handsomely from it, so... They have, and their capitalization has is really good now. I mean, as of September of last year, Fannie was capitalized, had retained capital of twenty one billion, and Freddie Mac had retained capital of fourteen billion dollars. Originally, when they went into conservatorship, the the capital requirement was set at three billion dollars for each GSE, and then it actually the original agreement had the capital requirement set initially at $3 billion and then declining by $600 million a year until it was allowed to go to zero. But then, um, you know, subsequent amendments thought better of that and raised those capital requirements. Because again, ultimately, the idea here is how do we prevent the taxpayers from ever having to bail out these entities again? And then beyond that, how do we exit this conservatorship and ultimately make them you know, the entities, the standalone entities they were before. And so I, I, I mean, the, the job that's been done over the last 12 years now is it's a good one and it has been a winner for the taxpayer. Ultimately um, it didn't, you know, it obviously it was a big, big loser at first, but it's come a long way. Well, it's, and, uh, it's well into being a very profitable endeavor for the treasury. <laughs> and, you know, it, when, when all, when all of this was going down during the financial collapse and Fannie and Freddie were, you know, stock value was essentially nil and it was determined there was no real path forward for them to stay private. And, and it was going to be the U S taxpayer to the rescue. It's like, well, Hey, how's this work? The, those companies just made so much money for so many years in a row. It, all the profits were all private, but now the risk and the loss is all public. We're going to pay for all of it. Well, now we've got 10 plus years of it being profitable to the point where we made back way more than our initial investment. And I, th- I think this is part of the reason why there's not a big risk to get rid of them. Again, it's like the toll road. <laughs> like, Hey, well, this is a cash cow now. So, um, but you know, it, I was, I frankly, I was pretty surprised that it didn't get talked about more during the election cycle. I mean, I guess there was just bigger fish to fry with, um, you know, everything that was going on uh, just socially and and with COVID and stuff during this last election cycle. But I thought this was going to be one of the bigger pieces was figuring out, you know, who had the best idea for getting rid of um, the government conservatorship here. But so cans kind of kicked down the road and said, I, I don't think it's very popular to get rid of something that's making so much money. Um, right. I want to throw this out there. There's one other provision that I read about within this, this uh, amendment to the, this agreement here, just so we don't all get blindsided again, is <laughs> that there's a maximum allowance of 6% of purchase loans that have, Oh, oh, and 3% of refinance loans that can have two or more risk, high risk characteristics. And the high risk characteristics that are being defined here are um, loan to values greater than 90, debt to income ratios greater than 45, 
and credit scores less than 680. So we are so these mortgage pools are also limited to 6% purchases and 3% refis that contain two or more of these risk factors. Those are and I, that's somewhat I, covered already though because I know through just the automated engine. Well, right? that I was going to say but as a loan originator, if I'm talking to you and you've got 10% or less down and you have a credit score of less than 680, we're talking um, FHA. Your your interest rate is just pricing you out on a conventional loan. Um, And on FHA, you're just, you know, you're going to get rewarded. You're also in a bucket where your mortgage insurance is terminable with a 10% down payment. So um, that's just a better fit for you. And then also, there was an overlay to mortgage insurance a few years ago that you cannot have a debt to income ratio over 45% with a credit score less than 720. So that piece is kind of already taken care of them getting caught in, you know, you're just not going to be able to get mortgage insurance, which is going to tell you you're ineligible for that product type. And then to boot, the pricing is so bad, it's going to push you over into FHA. And then that being said, you're driving more of that lower credit qualifying first time home buyer, higher debt to income ratio borrower into the FHA loan, as opposed to the Fannie and Freddie loan right, wrong, or otherwise. I mean, that's that's really what that product's for anyway. But interestingly enough, you know, we don't have all the details on it yet, but the, the big bets now are that FHA is poised to lower their monthly mortgage insurance premium. Um, being told that that's coming here in the next couple of months that we're going to see a big announcement. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see as right as we start pushing more business over into that world, we're also going to be moving towards um, lowering their funding a little bit. (laughs) Uh, File under, what does this lever do? Uh, (laughs) We'll we'll figure out later. Um, Yeah, interesting. And all this, all the while happening when um, we have uh, kind of a, dare I say, record amount of people um, not not able to afford their house payment. Um, so I guess this is a good a time as any to, to drop that um, weekly update that we've been giving about the, uh, the forbearance um, survey here says that the total number of loans now in forbearance decreased by three basis points this week um, to 5.2%. Uh, which is good because we had several weeks in a row of slight increases. So it's good to see that um, we're down a touch less, but I mean, we're still talking about 2.6 million homeowners in forbearance plans and um, that ain't good. Not a good time to be playing with the affordability of housing. I'll tell you that you'd think that some of that stuff would just get postponed. I also saw an interesting article talking about housing affordability here Um by the way, just a little boots on the ground update for you guys. It's an absolute bloodbath right now in the purchase market. Um, we legitimately have, um, I'm hearing about people writing offers for houses unseen. Um, it's not uncommon for houses to be getting overbid by multiple percent, sometimes double digit over percent just to win out the competition. Um, a year ago, um, wow, whoa, we're almost to the one year of the COVID shutdown, which reminds me that a year ago. I think we are. I think we are. I, I think I misspoke last week. I think it was March 12th that we got shut down. Yeah, so we're there. Happy one year anniversary. Um, toilet paper. 
was hard to get. <laughs> and you know what? We we have plenty of toilet paper now. Go to Costco. You can get whatever variety you want in a 36-roll pack for the same old price. You used to get it for pre-COVID. Uh, what we're out of, though, is houses. Um, it's crazy, the limited inventory of housing right now. Um, and this is why we've had 10% year-over-year appreciation in the housing market. Um, Zillow published a really interesting piece. Um, I think it came out yesterday. Um, oh, I take it back. It was a couple weeks ago. I just found it yesterday. Uh, but said a large majority of homeowners, 70%, in fact, say that they would be comfortable moving to a new home um, once the COVID vaccine is fully distributed. And um, only about 50% of people said that it, that it doesn't have an impact on them. But, you know, so it, it makes it feel like there's a whole lot of people that um, want to buy or, or somehow transact business maybe um, when we get fully vaccinated. Um, I, so you're saying this this crazy market isn't even including all of the people who want to buy? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was another another little bit in here that talked about um, millennials, right? Um, you know, I mean, and obviously millennials. I think that shouldn't be surprising to anybody that millennials are the target home buying audience right now. Um, there are so many millennials, you know, that, uh, want to buy homes. I mean, they, it's estimated right now that the, the people within that age group, um, and on the bookends of it constitute about 70 million people. Um, and you've got housing starts running somewhere in the one and a half million range right now. So we're just not keeping up with the demand and, the fear is that it's only going to get worse. And as inflation takes hold, you know, it's in a, I mean, the inflation cycles always teach us that, that real estate values go up. So if you feel like we're in a hot market now, wait till we're fully vaccinated and the rest of these people are coming out of the woodwork to buy the rest of the houses. Yeah, it's, I, I had a kind of a funny, but also sad at the same time conversation with some friends who've been trying to buy a home in the North County for months. and they finally got an accepted offer and they, you know, at the same time they're hearing rates are going up and they're disappointed and they're like, you know, we don't really like this house that, we, that we're in contract on, but nobody else wants to accept our offer on any of the other houses that we'd like. So I guess we have to settle for this one, but hey. you know, if, if the rates are too high, we don't want to be stuck in this place. And <laughs> It's just kind of a fun, I mean, that's the state of the buyer today. They're like disappointed when they get into contract. Sadly, this is kind of the state of buying real estate in California right now. If you're in entry level housing is, um, I, whenever I get going down this little piece, I, I, I lose friends quickly, but guys, bad news buying real estate today as a first time home buyer or an entry level home buyer is a process of settling. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're going to settle for being across the street from the dude that's got nine yard cars and three barking pit bulls or, you know, next to the, the metal smelter or the butcher or, you know, the weird beam in the middle of the living room floor that doesn't make any sense to anybody. I mean, there's just, there's something about every house that is not good. And what really happens through the process when the, when it's this tight, which it's been this tight now for so long is you just look at, well, 
that house is out because of this and that house is out because of that. And that house is, I would even consider it because it's this. And you get to this place where you just, you finally just have to settle. And sadly, like your friends, they say, well, this is the people that'll take us is the, we're <laughs> the ugly duckling here going to buy this house that, yeah, that nobody else wants. And um, yeah, I think it's a, it's always a scary thing to think that you're going to get stuck though, you know, as if you pull the trigger on this thing, then what you're going to get stuck. And in a year or two, you'll wish that you just hadn't or that, you know, or like me, um, if you go buy the house, then the next day they're oh, that's the one I should have bought. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just waited. Uh, but you know. It's that's just that's what's hard about it is there's more people that want to buy homes right now than there are for sale. And that's why prices have been going up. And sadly, now interest rates are going up a little bit. Um, But I think really, um, for everybody that's listening, you should just know that when we say they're going up, um, 30 year fix today is like, three and an eighth, right? 3.125 or so I'd say is probably average, maybe getting to three and a quarter, whatever. And yeah, I I realized that compared to a month ago or two months ago when it was 2.5 or 2.625, that feels like a lot. And for guys like me, it feels like the weight of the world. I mean, I'm over here going, are we going to be in trouble? That's really radical, fast movement. But if you just come in off the street today because you just made, you know, a promotion at work or whatever, you finally hit your savings goal and you're like, hey, I'm here to get pre-approved on to buy a house. We say, I say, great. (laughs) Good news. You can borrow $600,000 today for 3% for 30 years. That's pretty darn good. So um, as much as we say it's tight and it's hard and it's a crazy market, I really do believe that interest rates have long-term upward pressure. Um, I think they've moved a little rapidly right now, and I do expect we're going to kind of level off and maybe bounce a couple times. But um I, I don't want to discourage anybody. I still think that real estate is a great long-term investment. Um, I just also like setting clear expectations. You should know that it's going to be a, a, a tight and competitive market when you do throw your hat in the ring. Um, but that's why your pre-approval letter should be on Central Coast Lending Letterhead. So we'll <laughs> we'll do that for you. Um, hey, we need to do the final commercial break here this hour. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And then we'll be back in in just a minute to cover the rest of the topics for the show. So stick around for more Mortgage Matters. It's time to pay some bills. Mortgage Matters will be back in just a few seconds. Stay tuned. More from the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending in just seconds. Hey, Brian from AM Sun Solar here. Did you know that if you own a home and have an electric bill, you could miss out on the full 30% solar tax credit this year if you don't act fast? The full 30% tax credit lowers after this year, so you're going to miss out on cash and time is running out. Call AM Sun Solar today to see if your home qualifies for the full 30% solar tax credit. Get your free solar consultation before it's too late. We are already filling up our installation schedule to get the tax credit, so call AM Sun Solar today at 805 772 6786 or visit us at amsunsolar.com. AM Sun Solar is located in Paso Robles, so you know you're working with a local company that has the best equipment and a 20% longer workmanship warranty than anyone else in the area. Call us today at 805-772-6786 or visit amsunsolar.com to see if your home qualifies for a solar energy system and the full 30% solar tax credit. That's 805-772-6786. 
Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We are using low down payment programs and down payment assistance programs to help folks just like you buy their first home. You may not need to save and wait as long as you think. Are you ready to explore home ownership? Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 low and the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 32835. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. We believe that cell phone apps are great for some things and wrong for others. When it comes to something as significant as a mortgage, use our team of mortgage experts. Leave the apps for ordering pizza, not for buying a home. Use your phone for its original purpose and give us a call today. Just call 543 low and mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. In these times of economic turmoil, it's hard to know where to turn for financial security. At Blakesley and Blakesley, they've been providing solid financial advice for over 30 years. If you'd like a second opinion on your investments or just a financial tune-up, turn to a proven name you know you can trust. Blakesley and Blakesley. For the service you deserve and the advice you trust, come to Blakesley and Blakesley with offices in San Luis Obispo, Santa Maria, and Paso Robles. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. As a direct VA lender, we specialize in helping the great servicemen and women of the Central Coast utilize their benefit to purchase and refinance real estate. We thank you for your service and believe it's a distinct honor to serve you. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 low and mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 with your host, the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Welcome back for what will be a very short segment here. Um, <laughs> we have only a few minutes until the end of the show, but um, have to get it in there. We have paying sponsors that help uh, help pay the bills here for the show. So um, there's so many things left that we really could talk about. See now, Dan, this is where I'm wishing we still had two hours to really get through everything, but. We, did. Uh, we had an exciting, exciting lead topic there, which, by the way, I have an update on. Oh, already? Been, as we've been recording the show, I got some feedback as to why, um, why all of a sudden this this amendment that was agreed to back in January jolted markets here in mid March, and it was because in in January the the criteria was set, but not a start date was not set, and here just on March 10th was when Fannie Mae announced that April 1st would be the start date of this mm. 
um, cap to the non-owner occupied concentration level. Well, and like you said, it it fits the current metric of how it's working. But I would think that initially you got to just take your foot off the gas pedal, give yourself some time to make sure that you're gonna that you're the current business that you're doing is going to fit and then be able to come back and, and cool back, give us back that pricing. So I imagine we're just in the middle of a, of a whipsaw effect here. Um, but I want to remind everybody, if, if you have an investment property, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a loan right now for a guy, even though rates aren't great, Dan, you said they went up by a quarter to a half a point. That's pretty accurate. Uh, but I'm working on investment property refi right now for a guy that slept through the last five years here and has a five and a quarter, 30 year fixed. So um, still plenty of opportunity there. If you've got a, a higher rate investment property, still reach out to us to refi. Um, we are staying busy. I want to remind everybody that if, if you've got an interest rate that is around, you know, in the high threes or 4%, um, another one of the refis I'm working on right now is just for a regular old owner-occupied loan where the interest rate's four and a quarter. Um, you can still refinance. And I mean, in this loan, that's four and a quarter. It's an FHA loan that has mortgage insurance. So we're, we're going conventional, going to get rid of the mortgage insurance. We're talking about saving over $400 a month on this loan. So that's real money. That's like, I mean, that's like car payment. That's like a raise. You could go to Starbucks every day for the month and um, be budget neutral if you could figure out how to save 400 bucks a month. So I just want to yeah, remind... We get, we get really worked up about every tiny incremental change in rates, but the reality is rates are at pre-COVID lows. Yeah. I mean, that rates are incredible. I know. We're just sad because you're, you know, taking away what is a... I mean, we, we got this radical look at rates that were, you know, around two and a half percent. And we wanted that to stay until every possible person in the world bought or refinanced a house at two and a half percent. Um, some of you guys waited for the, you know, the 2% and, and lost to the two and a half. Well, don't be silly. Um, while it's here at three, come and get one of those, uh, before it's too late for that. Yeah. Dan, one of the things I clipped that I never made it through here is that, um, the 10 year treasury yield has more than tripled from August of last year. Um, it is also accurate to say that it's 20 basis points higher than it was at its pre-COVID record record low. So it's barely higher. Uh, We just got spoiled with low rates and wanted it to go on forever. And um, it's a good chance for me to remember that the the low 3% rate is still here and great. And there's a lot of people that need it. I mean, I read these industry rags that say there's as many as 20 million homeowners that could still benefit to refi right now. So if you want to look at it, need some help, reach out to us. Uh, One number rings all of our offices here. It's 805-543-5. 626 or venture on over to centralcoastlending.com and uh, you can find us there or fill out a loan application, uh, contact us, uh, let us get you on the path um, of whatever. If you're buying a house or want to refinance, see if you can save some money. Um, or if and you just, don't forget, we are springing our clocks forward tonight. That's right. Is that good or bad? Is this the good one or the bad this one? This is where we lose the hour. We lose the hour. Uh, you're going to be a little more tired on Sunday, but but it's going to be daylight longer. It is. So it's going to, yeah. So we get to get back to um, maybe getting to play nine holes after work. There you go. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Uh, Dan, thanks for your help today. Everybody, thanks for listening. Appreciate you being with us. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Stay healthy.